So everybody, good evening. I'm glad that all of you are here. I hope everybody had a good week. I'm sure we're going to have more people join us in a few minutes. This Parsha is the Etchanan. So did everybody read the parsha over Shabbat? So we have had parsha oath that talked about some of the same things. It's, it's kind of a review as we go through the barring. But there are some differences. We're going to do an overview tonight over um, the parsha, the Etchanan. And one of the things, the first thing, sorry, is that <clears throat> we've seen Moshe pray about wanting to go into Eretz Israel before. This par this parsha begins with this. Aaron has already passed away. Miriam has passed away. All the people of the the men of the generation that came out of Egypt have passed away. And Moshe is wanting to go into Eretz Israel. He's wanting to go so badly that he's praying and praying and praying. So it the Parsha begins with, let's see here, the third chapter the 23rd verse I sought worthiness of favor with God at that time and said O my Lord God thou hast begun to give thy servant insight into thy greatness and thy mighty hand indeed where is there any power in heaven and on earth that can perform like thy creations and thy almighty power so one of the things that we are told is that Moshe himself grows in his understanding of Hashem as we go from each one of the books of the Torah his understanding is growing by the time he gets to the book of Devarim his understanding is phenomenal and yet he's saying I have only begun it tells us something too about learning about Hashem about coming closer to him, learning who he is, getting to know him, tells us that here we are in a physical world, in our physical bodies, a physicality here, and it is almost impossible for us to really know God because we can't relate. He's not like us. He's not physical. He is not in our world the way we are. And so what we do is we have a tendency to want to, well, sorry, to want to do what we call anthropomorphic thinking, to make Hashem like humans. And 
This can run into some problems. This is what the pagans did. They made the gods, their many gods, with their human frailties like themselves. So sometimes human beings have a tendency to do this. Yet Moshe is saying he came to know Hashem in a real way. He came to know Hashem, but he was saying here that he has only begun to have insight into his greatness. And this is right at the end of his life. After everything that Moshe has experienced, after everything Moshe has seen, after all the things that Hashem has done, says that I speak to Moshe mouth to mouth. I mean, who in the world has ever had that experience with Moshe? And yet, Moshe is saying, I have only begun. You have just begun to give thy servant insight into thy greatness and thy mighty hand. I mean, this is just a phenomenal thought when we think about that. And it shows us I'm sorry. It shows us the infinity of the greatness of a show. That it just goes on and on and on beyond our limited thinking, beyond our mind. It just keeps going on and on and on. So, it's really amazing when we think about it. Moshe Rabbeinu himself saying all of this. But, and then he's saying, please, let me cross over. And so he's going to try to use the same tactics of prayer for that has worked with the people of Israel, you know, for the people of Israel, persuading Hashem to change his mind and change his, um, to soften his anger toward them and to relent on what he had decreed toward the people of Israel. Now he's going to try to use the same tactics for himself. But we're going to see how Hashem was not going to be moved. So Moshe says, When I sinned at the waters of Merivah, you swore, Therefore you and Aaron shall not bring this congregation to the land which I promised their forefathers. Despite his oath, I did not doubt that I would eventually be able to change that decree with my prayers. He was so used to changing the decrees of Hashem for the people of Israel that he thought, surely, surely, how many times had I achieved pardon for your sins even after God had sworn to punish you? So here he's telling the people of Israel all of this. My prayers affected your reprieve after the sin of the golden calf, although the Almighty had sworn to destroy anyone serving false gods. I did not immediately pray for forgiveness since it was a time of heavenly anger. Rather, I waited for a propitious moment when my tefillot would be accepted. The time of divine benevolence apparently arrived after we defeated the giants, Sichon and Og. I was confident that now I could achieve pardon for my indiscretion at the waters of Merivah. God would not deny my fervent wish to set foot upon the soil of Eretz Israel. Why else had he made me conquer the lands of Sichon and Og, which action initiated the conquest of Eretz Israel? So Moshe was reasoning that he could just keep, you know, 
like inching forward and Hashem is going to just let him. So he assumed that since he conquered the east side of the Jordan that Hashem was going to allow him to take possession of, of Eretz Israel proper. However, Hashem informed Moshe that he could progress no further than the boundary of the Jordan. So then he recounted, I did not demand admittance as of right because I was deserving of the privilege. Rather, I humbly prostrated myself before Hashem and entreated him to favor me because of his great mercy and benevolence. I pray, Master of the universe, in your grace he promised to answer even the prayers of those undeserving. If a human king wants to revoke, to revoke an edict, his cabinet may protest. But you are all powerful to accept a sinner's chuva and to annul his punishment. No other authority can hinder you. Why then don't you abolish my punishment with your attribute of kindliness? If you do not let me enter Eretz Israel, my mission will remain incomplete. Since you have begun to let me conquer Sichon and Og, please let me now destroy the 31 kings of Eretz Canaan also. Moreover, you reveal the Torah to me. Will you not privilege me to teach it in Eretz Israel? Please let me pass over the Jordan so that I can see the good land where the soul can reach its highest perfection. I wish to see Har Hamoriah, where Yitzhak was tied to the altar, and the future site of the Beit HaMikdash. I wish to pray there. Let me see the Beit HaMikdash itself. The holy house in which the sacrifices will be offered in atonement for the people's sins. So he's mentioning all of this. And Hashem answers him, I swore you shall not lead the people beyond the Yarden. Seeing how angry he was with me, I recited the thirteen attributes of mercy that he had taught me. Although he was appeased, he nevertheless refused, saying, I cannot listen to you. For I took two oaths, either you die here in the desert, or I will destroy Klal Israel. Do you wish to live at the expense of the Jewish people's annihilation? And I replied, let a thousand Moshe's perish rather than one Jew. And I pleaded, I do not request interest as a leader, but merely as a private citizen. And Hashem replied, a king does not enter in private capacity. If, if I may not enter alive, let my bones be brought for burial, I requested. Your bones shall not cross the Jordan either, Hashem persisted. Master of the universe, shall I be less privileged than Yosef? I was the one when we left Egypt who located his coffin and ensured that his remains be brought to the Holy Land. Shall not the same be done for me? Hashem replied, Yosef deserved to be buried in his land because he acknowledged his origin. Imprisoned in Egypt, he revealed to his cellmate, I was stolen from the land of the Hebrews. Even though that revelation would degrade them in his eyes, but you, when you heard Yitro's daughter speaking, you said, you heard them call you an Egyptian that you had rescued them from a well, you did not acknowledge your origin. You let them continue to think that you were an Egyptian. 
So there was a consequence for that. Mida keneged mida is a term that we use a lot. So Moshe was still entreating Hashem. When I realized that my entreaties were ineffective, I put more forceful arguments before the Almighty. Master of the universe, I argued, why do you bar me from entering Eretz Israel? Because at the waters of Merivah, I called B'nai Israel rebel? You yourself called them so when you said, let Aaron's rod be preserved before the Ark of Testimony as a sign against rebel. When I realized the severity of God's oath, I donned a sack and ashes. I drew a circle around myself and I declared, I will not budge from here until the decree is abolished. My entreaties stood hook, heaven and earth, until all creation thought the great judgment day has come, on which Hashem renews the world. It must have come, the Almighty proclaimed. Let all the heavenly gates be closed against Moshe's prayers so they cannot ascend. My tefillot were penetrating all seven heavens like a sword. I pronounced the Shem Ha Meforesh, which I had learned in heaven, in order that my prayers be accepted. Quick, God called to the angel, Lock each gate, because Moshe's prayers are soaring to the heights. I offered 515 types of tefillah. God then appeared to me with his great court of angels and told me, Cease praying. The great court in heaven has irrevocably decreed that you shall not pass over the Jordan. If you continue to pray, you will bring us both into ill repute. People will assert, Moshe must have committed many sins for all his prayers when I answered, and furthermore, God is cruel for not accepting so many entreaties. Moreover, acceptance of your prayers would be a disservice to the generation of the wilderness. Remember, all of the people who died on the other side of the Jordan, who came out of Egypt, they were the ones that Moshe had led out of Egypt. So, he was going to be the one to lead them across the Jordan in the resurrection of the dead. And besides that, what about Aaron? People will think Aaron was not privileged to enter Eretz Israel as we are because he sinned in the incident of the golden calf and his sin was not atoned. Therefore, he was punished with death in the wilderness. And the reality of the situation is that like Moshe, he was punished for sinning at the waters of Meribah. No, Moshe. The decree forbidding you to enter the land cannot be revoked. You erred only slightly at the waters in Meribah, but it was such a great punishment is in proportion to your wisdom. Your time is over. Yahshua will take your place. Be content with the great reward that is just reserved for you in the world to come. Shall all my prayers then have been in vain, I asked Hashem? No, replied the Almighty. You will see more than you would had you entered Eretz Israel, and more than your successor, Yahushua, ever will. Ascend Mount Nebo, and I will let you envision not only the places you mentioned, but all of Eretz Israel, north, 
south, east, and west. And you'll therefore bestow a blessing upon the land and facilitate its conquest in the future. So, he was buried on the east side of the Jordan, encamped opposite the place where you send. Moshe is going to be buried there by worshipping Peor. These words hinted that he would be buried near the spot where they sin in order to achieve an atonement for the sin. So you can think about it like this, that there were two really big sins in the, in the wilderness. And the first one was the sin of the golden calf. So Aaron's death we can see as atoning for the sin of the golden calf. And then Moshe's death by being buried there opposite of this place where this sin had been it's an atonement for this so that the people of Israel are able to go across without this stigma it's, it's mitigated it's lessened so one of the things that we see here why why is it that, that Hashem is so adamant that Moshe cannot go across the Yarden why he, why can't he build the Beit HaMikdash why why is it that he says, if you go across the Jordan, then you will live and you will cause the annihilation of the people of Israel? This just doesn't make sense on the surface. It doesn't make sense at all. But it does make sense. You see, this is the very same reason that the temple, the Beit HaMikdash, could not be built by King David. Because Moshe is he is a Mashiach. He is this embodying the spirit, the soul of Mashiach, just like King David. And a temple that either Moshe would build or King David would have built would be a temple that could never be destroyed. Never. And so if the anger of Hashem would come up which it was going to, and Hashem saw this prophetically, then the temple couldn't be destroyed. The people of Israel would be destroyed. So what he said was, better that the temple be built by someone of lesser stature, so that the anger toward the people of Israel would be aimed at the temple rather than the people. That the temple would be destroyed and the people would go into exile, but there would be a hope that the people could come out of the exile and be rescued, which is the promise that we look forward to. And this is one of the reasons why Hashem said, Moshe, you cannot go across the Jordan. Because if he had gone across the Jordan, it would have been him who would have built the temple. And it wouldn't have waited. Wouldn't have waited for the day of day of King David. Would have been right away. They would have chosen Jerusalem right away. They would have conquered the land not in the years that it took Yahushua, but right away. Redemption. I mean, it, the people weren't ready, and we have to understand this: how the people have to be a vessel that is ready for redemption to pour into the world, because. Klal Israel is a vessel of poor redemption poor into the world. At Harsinai, the people, remember, and we're going to get to this, 
well, let me just let me just wait. So Moshe was praying, and we see here in the midrash where Hashem says to the angels, "Close the gates." They're gates of prayer, and we pray certain ways to open those gates. We pray certain ways, and Moshe knew all of these ways of praying to open the gates of prayer. And then we see here also in the in the uh, midrash where he talks about that the great court of heaven, the great baiting, the Sanhedrin of heaven comes with Hashem to say to Moshe, stop praying because this is not in accordance with the perfect will of Hashem. This is Moshe's will. This is what Moshe desires. But at this point, this is not the will of Hashem. And even though, and we have a question in our minds about that, that the perfect way for a person to finally to get to, and Moshe finally does get here. I mean, it shows us that he still had human attributes, where he was still full of his own desire. His desire was a, a very high desire that he wanted to go into the land. And he was very disappointed that he had led the people all this time. And then at the end, he would not be able to go into the land of Israel. So we can see how his desire itself was a very high desire. And we're told that he prayed 550 types of entreaties. And it is hinted at by the word Ve'etkanan, which is the name of the Parsha, who has a numerical value of 515. And it means, I beseeched. Now, according to the Kabbalah, this is also the number of tefillot that is prayed daily by the angels, as it is saying, I and I beseech. I beseech Hashem. So it's also suggested by Eshdat that this is the num- that this number also signifies that Moshe's prayers were also meant for the welfare of mankind until the era of the final redemption. So he was praying from the time, his own time, to the end of time, which is 6,000 years. And if you would divide this into Shemitah cycles of seven years, that you would get, well, the remaining time for Moshe's day was 3,605 years. And so if you divided that by seven, you got 550 seven-year cycles, Shemitah cycles, from the death of Moshe until the present era. And so this is where the Kabbalists get this hint that when Moshe was praying, he was praying and beseeching Hashem, that he was also the prayers had these layers and part of the prayers were also for the people throughout time toward the end of time that he was praying into the future praying about the welfare of mankind until the era of the final redemption and another reason that Hashem said no you're not going to cross the Jordan is because people of that had left Egypt who had died in the wilderness needed Moshe 
to be buried on that side of the Jordan with them so that through his marriage they would rise from the dead and be led across the Jordan in the final redemption so he is also that it was the merit of his of his life merit of his being a great study that it was going to ensure that those people who had died because of the sin in the wilderness because of the sin of the spies would eventually rise from the dead and this was like like um like a stamp like a seal that Hashem put on them and so you can see how Hashem's will for Moshe was greater than Moshe as a person but Moshe as what he symbolized what his purpose was in the world and you just stop and you think about that for a minute how Hashem's view of Moshe how his view of Aaron too but his view of Moshe was so different from Moshe's view of himself Moshe was thinking of himself in terms like we all do as a man and Hashem was looking at Moshe as his purpose in the world what he came into the world to do he was looking at his sole reason for existing so Hashem from the time that he first called Moshe he had been pushing him and pushing him and pushing him and all along Moshe just kept going no I can't do it no I'm a man no I'm not somebody who can speak he is very very humble and he saw himself as just an ordinary man so here too even in his prayers where he has the ability to pray in the most phenomenal deep way of any human being ever he's still thinking of himself as just a man just a common person and Hashem sees him as something so so much more and he is again forcing Moshe to be everything that he created him to be everything that he meant for him to be and this meant that he would have to set aside his own personal desires in order to be all that Hashem meant for him to be I mean that is just when you stop and you think about that that's just wild when you think about that and I mean think about it about ourselves too sometimes in our own lives how we will want certain things and yet Hashem says no no you're not going to have that and you're not going to do that you're not going to have that job you're not going to live in that place you're not going to marry that person you know you're not going to have that because I have something else I want you to do and all of you probably had this experience where you'll have this disappointment in your life but yet Hashem is formulating your life he is orchestrating your life in a way that is so much greater than what you yourself might be capable of even seeing I mean it's amazing to think that Moshe after everything he had done after everything he lived through he had been heaven he brought down the Torah you know all these things that who else had ever done that but yet he's still having trouble seeing himself through the eyes of Hashem in the greatness what does he say in the very beginning of the Parsha 
he is talking about not his own greatness, but the greatness of Hashem. You have begun to give your servant insight into thy greatness and thy mighty hand. Just begun 40 years into this thing and it's just begun? Oh my goodness. So this is where he is seeing the greatness of Hashem. Yeah. And he doesn't even flatter himself as to say that he's on such a higher level now than what he ever had been before. And yet Hashem is seeing him as so much more. He's seeing him as being the impetus, the security, the insurance that the generation that died in the wilderness will indeed be able to come across the Jordan. And so he says to Moshe, he tell, shows Moshe this too. So, all this time, every time the ark would, would uh, be picked up or anything, Moshe is used to basically almost giving Hashem orders, saying, rise up Hashem, return Hashem, punish the sinners. Yet, when it comes to asking for himself, it's a different story. And the reason is because when he was doing that, like giving these orders, it was from heaven that that was exactly what he was supposed to do. And he had to have the courage to do that. And he was not doing it for himself. He was always doing it for the sake of Hashem and the sake of, of uh, um, Israel. So when it came to doing things doing something for himself, asking for something for himself, it became a different matter. He couldn't succeed at that. So, why would you think that Hashem, I mean, he's already told him no. So why would you think that he would one say close the doors of heaven, close the door with the gate, and two tell Moshe to quit praying? I want to. I want you to tell me why do you think Hashem needed to tell Moshe that? Told him to quit praying. Why do you think he told him to quit praying? And can you think of another example? of when Hashem told somebody not to pray. Can you think of an example of that? Anybody out there? crossing the Red Sea. That's an example. Yeah, I told him to quit praying and just ask. That is an example. That's not what I was going for, but that is an example. So 
So why do you think he told Moshe to quit praying? Did Hashem want Moshe to submit to his will and therefore quit praying? Yes. And also there's another thing. And we have that example with the prophet Jeremiah, Yeremiah, where Hashem says, do not pray for this people. Why? Because you get this indication that there could even be almost as though the prayers themselves could force the hand of Hashem. Force the hand of Hashem to do something that is really not in accordance with His will. And it could be... I mean, this is something that and this is why when we pray for something, it's almost almost a rule that you have to ask if you're allowed to pray. I mean, when we have the Amidah in of the standing prayers, the first thing we say is, "Open my mouth that I may pray." Now, this what does this mean? It's it's asking permission and when I will pray for somebody for healing, the first thing I will do is I will ask for permission to pray for that person. Because we're not just across the board given the authority to pray for anything and everything. We're not. And so this is a good example and Jeremiah is a good example of when Hashem says, you don't have the authority to pray that and I don't want you to pray that. Because you're not going, I don't want you to force my hand. And this is an interesting concept. See, this is what it was talking about when it says that Moshe was used to like ordering Hashem around. That he was saying, rise up, you know, um, punish the enemies, return Hashem, all these things. He, it sounds like he was, he was used to giving orders to Hashem. But, and it worked. But those times was in accordance with the will of Hashem. And now Hashem is saying, you're not going to pray against my will because I'm not going to let you. Do not do that because you have to stay within the my will. That is who you are. That's what you are. That he had to be, he was connected to the ground. He was connected to the will of Hashem. He's drawing his will into the world. Now all of a sudden, Hashem says, no, don't pray that. There are times, and believe it or not, there are times when Hashem will say to you, don't pray that. And I mean, it's almost startling when you hear that. Don't pray that. Don't pray for that. But you have to be so sensitive that you will be in and so in tune that you'll know no I'm not supposed to pray that no I'm not supposed to speak that and this is something that we need to get to in our in our prayers that we can understand how important that is that we be really in the flow the flow of Hashem's will that we're praying according to his desire that our desires become enmeshed in his desires. That we don't say, oh, I want that so bad. Please, 
give it to me, and we just, just bag and bag and bag. You know, first of all, that's immature. I mean, I'm not talking about Moshe here being immature, because he definitely, on one level, you can see he deserved to go into the land of Israel. And Hashem wasn't saying you're never going to the land of Israel. He would go into the land of Israel later. Now, we shouldn't look at things in terms of the finite. I mean, he was going to go into the land of Israel in the resurrection of the dead. He'll go to the land of Israel later. And this is something that I want us to talk about in more, you know, more tomorrow night when we uh, when we have our class on healing. So after that, after um, he had accepted that. He was not going to the land of Israel. He instructed the people again in the Torah. And the whole idea is that the Torah is for life. That you may live. That you may live by them. And we see this a lot of times. This pattern of there's a disappointment. There's a tragedy. And then the next thing that happens is Moshe is teaching the Torah. And one of the things that I would really like us to understand and to grab hold of is that there is a lesson in this. That learning Torah is consoling, it is comforting, and it is healing. There would be times when the people had suffered a terrible um, plague, a catastrophe. And then the next thing, Shem says, teach them the Torah. Teach them about Shabbat. Teach them about the, you know, after the sin of the spies. Remember? He was teaching them about the laws that they would only be able to do inside the land. What was that? It was a message. This is not hopeless. You're going to learn these laws that you will use when you come into the land. So that was like, we're still preparing. We're still going into the land. And this is the idea of learning Torah. It is so you may live, so that we will we will attach ourselves, just like I was saying before, attach ourselves intricately to the will of Hashem. It is also enlightening for our lives that we have lived so far. Yeah. And. So he reminds the people of these um, with more hope to come. Yeah. And he reminds the people of the things that have happened, the things that have transpired. They're right there in that area where the people have died because of worshipping Baal And he reminds them of this, how people have died because of this, violation of this. And so he reiterates the prohibition against idolatry. Don't do this. Do not worship idols. This brings death upon you. They're lifeless. And it brings death upon you. It brings 
impurity upon you because they're disgusting idol worship is disgusting so he reiterates this he reminds the people of their past sins and encourages them to do tshuva for the past sins and to get ready to go into the land of Israel so in spite of the fact that he has been told he is not going into Eretz Israel he will not be allowed to go into Eretz Israel he is still preparing the people to go and ultimately you see that this is a sign of his great love for the people of Israel that even though he wasn't going to be able to go with them he was still willing to do the preparation to prepare them to go over and also that he's going to stay on the east side of the Jordan with those people who did not merit to go into the land of Israel alive like that and it's interesting too that that was one of the reasons that the tribe of God and Reuben but the tribe of God chose to stay on the east side of the Jordan that was one of the reasons is because Moshe was going to be there and so they're going to be like a vanguard they're going to be like guarding the area where Moshe is resting until he will be able to come across the Yarden and interestingly too that Moshe assigned the cities of refuge three cities of refuge which were the first assigned of these and the first one was designated in the territory of Ruvain and Ruvain was honored by that because it was Ruvain who protested when the brothers wanted to kill Yosef and they said and he said don't kill him cast him into one of these pits instead so for that heroic act of being able to stand against his brothers against spilling his brother's blood the first city of refuge that was established was in the territory of Ruvain and we see this kind of pattern in the Torah we see this pattern play out in the Torah where we'll see a tribe reap the benefit reap the reward of something the merit of their forefather something that he did that maybe he himself personally never realized any kind of reward but the tribe that descends from him will be protected or will receive some kind of reward because of something he did and then we're not going to have time to go through everything he uh, Moshe reiterated he talked about the experience of Harsinai and he reminded the people about Harsinai that they should never forget that they were the witnesses of the fire on the mountain out of which Hashem spoke they were the witnesses of the Torah being given into the world which was the most 
phenomenal, it was the most phenomenal event ever in the history of mankind. And so he reminds the people that they are witnesses. And that this is, just like Moshe had a purpose in his life, this was the purpose of the people of Israel. To be the witnesses of the Torah to the world. He reminds them of how they were taken out of Egypt, out of this crucible of Egypt. And then he reiterates the Ten Commandments. Now I want you to see here, and this is something that was really kind of cool that um, Rabbi Blech did, and we did this before um, in Parshat Yitro, where it talks about Okay, so they're kind of listed in a different order here. And um, and so he reiterates the Ten Commandments. And then, and I want all of you to read this, but we're kind of going through this whole thing. Then he talks about the experience of Sinai with the fire and the cloud and the thick, the, the thick smoke. And he reminds the people of how when the people heard the voice of Hashem their souls left their bodies and then the angels pushed them back into their bodies and then their souls left their bodies again and it was only two commandments that they could that this happened with and then they said no 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 we can't take this and so please you hear for us and then we will do what you tell us and this was how the authority that comes all the way down to our modern rabbis, our modern rabbinical system, came about. Because the people said, no, 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 you hear from Hashem, and then we'll do whatever you say. And then that authority went to the elders, it went to the prophets, it went to the priesthood, it went, it was handed down. It's what we call smicha. Smicha is like a blanket, you know, like a covering. And so it was handed down like that, but the first reason, the first place that that happened was at Sinai because the people were so terrified. I mean, we, we sit here and we think, oh, well, I could have done it. But no, their bodies, their, they were dying. It was killing them to hear the voice of Hashem. So, um, so he goes through this and he reminds them of that. Now, we're, we don't have a whole lot of time here, so I'm not going into this in depth. Then, the la then here is the Shema. Now, I wanted to talk about the Shema a little bit and how significant it is. Now, we've all heard the Shema. So, uh, here, Israel, Hashem, our God, is our God. Hashem is one and only. And then, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Now, 
the midrash about this is that all of his li- all of his life, Yaakov worried that one of his sons might not be worthy, and so he I mean he thought about Abraham and he had Ishmael. And he thought about his father Isaac and he had Esau. And so he thought, what if one of my sons is not worthy? And so, because they did descend from, you know, they had the great-grandfather Terach, and they had uh, Uncle Levon. So they had some of the, like you would call even the bad seed in there. And he worried about this. He worried when Ruvain moved his couch, that maybe Ruvain wasn't worthy. He worried when Yosef disappeared that maybe he hadn't been worthy of being counted among the tribes. So he worried. So when he was on his deathbed, he said to his sons, you know, that he worried about this. And he says, can I be assured that you'll truly serve Hashem? And his sons were shocked. And they said to him, Shema Israel, Yaakov, our father, hear. And then they said this, Hashem is our God. Shem is one and we'll love him always and when Yaakov heard this he bowed down on his bed and he just said quietly the blessing of the angel Baruch Shem Kavod Mokuto Le'alam Ba'ed he was saying blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever this is the prayer of the angels and he was saying this blessing because he was so grateful that his sons were saying to him, Listen, listen our father. We will always see the oneness of Hashem. We will always acknowledge this oneness. We'll always acknowledge that he is our God. And he was so grateful that he was able to pray this with his whole heart. So, from within the Jewish people, it is a mitzvah that we say the Shema twice a day. We can say it standing, we can say it sitting, we can say it lying down, we can say it in bed before we go to bed, before we go to sleep. We say Shema. And part of it, part of the Shema is that we teach our sons that it is important for us to teach our children the Torah. Not only our children, but when you are a Torah teacher, it's also teaching your students. So all of you all, you're all my children. And I love you. You're my children. So we have this mitzvah to read the Shema, and it's not like Hashem needs to hear this. This is the reason we do it. Not like he needs to hear us say this. And it's not like we're saying it to Yaakov Avinu all the time either. What we're doing is we're saying it to ourselves. We're saying it inside. We're saying it to ourselves and reminding ourselves all the time. Shema. We're, we're um, invoking this. And we're speaking of this. Build our faith in our souls. And another way that um, of Jewish practice 
is that men wear to fill in in the daytime. That so we we'll put it on our in on your head between your eyes and upon your um, heart. So, so there's one on the hand and one on just above the hairline um, on the forehead, and it is to be a reminder. Another reminder that we have, and it is said here in the Shema, when you sit in your home, when you walk on the way, when you retire, when you rise, when you, you're supposed to bind them as a sign upon your arm and let them be ornaments between your eyes, that's to fill in, and then write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, and that's what we call a mezuzah. And in the mezuzah, we have this, um, we have the Shema, and we have, we put it on our door as a reminder of the whole Torah. It's a reminder that we, like we read it when we go out, we, we think of it when we come in, it always is before us, it's always right there, that it's guarding our gates, it's guarding our doors, our gates. And this is what holds holds them up. And then there was the commandment to um, drive out the nations from the land. And one of the things was that the nations were given an option. There were seven nations in the land that, that descended from um, Noah's grandson Canaan the nations were given an option that they could leave or they could stay live in peace but they had to be subservient to Israel and they had to take on take upon themselves the seven Noahide laws they had to become Noahides in order to live in peace with Israel And it was difficult for them, and some of them went to war. And the and the injunction, the command of the people of Israel, was that they went to war. They were supposed to be annihilated because the people were so corrupt that they they didn't even come close to keeping the Noahide laws. They did everything the opposite. They loved murder. They loved stealing. They loved sexual immorality. They loved everything that Hashem had said was not supposed to be the way that people behaved. And so, to completely wipe this out, the taint in the land, and to keep the people of Israel from following in their footsteps, in following their um, example, Hashem commanded this very, very extreme, strong, command to wipe them out and at the very end of the Parsha we read for you are a holy people to Hashem your God Hashem your God has chosen you to be for him a treasured people above all peoples that are on the face of the earth not because you are more numerous than all peoples did Hashem desire you and choose you for you are the fewest of all peoples Rather, because Hashem's love for you 
and because he observes the oath that he swore to your forefathers did he take you out with a strong hand and redeem you from the house of slavery from the hand of Paro king of Egypt you must know that Hashem your God he is the God the faithful God who safeguards the covenant and the kindness for those who love him for those who observe his commandments for a thousand generations he repays his enemies in his lifetime to make him perish he shall not delay for his enemy in his lifetime he shall repay you shall observe the commandment and the decrees and the ordinances that I command you today to perform them so he was saying that just as he had said to Abraham Avinu that at the time when the iniquity of the Amorites would be full they would be punished and this was the time when the people of Israel were getting ready to cross the Jordan and this is a reference to the enemy that he was going to make them perish sometimes even today people have a tendency to feel like oh that's so bad oh that's so cruel and it's a big mistake for us to think that we can be more humane more compassionate more moral if you will than God and this is a big mistake that people make in our time they call it political correctness the only kind of correctness is the Torah and so if Hashem said that these people and don't don't uh, uh, reapply it to another people because that doesn't work either but it's Hashem said that those people in the land of Canaan had been judged and they were supposed to be wiped out that was not cruel it was mercy it was mercy on society and it was mercy on them too because they were going to be reaping what they needed what their souls needed after they had sinned the way they sinned and we have to realize this this is another thing another way that we have to change our mindset and the way we look at the world to the way Hashem says we have one minute left does anybody have any kind of a comment or a question tonight This is so great and moving in my spirit. That's wonderful. Is it wrong for Noahites to have the Shema on their doorposts? Um, it's a commandment to the people of Israel. It's something that sets the people of Israel apart. So I would say Noahites shouldn't do it. I mean the Shema maybe in in another way maybe but not a mezuzah you shouldn't you shouldn't try to put a mezuzah you could have like um, a blessing of your house you know there are these blessings of the house that would be good the idea of prayer forcing God's hand is hard for me to grasp 
How can Hashem be forced by any man? Well, it is hard to grasp. And it's only certain type, certain men of tremendous spiritual stature that had that kind of power. And we see this is the only explanation. This is why Moshe was commanded to stop praying. This is why Yermiyahu was told, don't pray. Do not pray for that people. Because there is power in that prayer. And sometimes a person will pray for something and beg for something and they will get what they ask for. You know the saying, be careful what you ask for, you might get it? Well, they might get that, but it will not be the best thing for them. So that when Hashem said, do not do this, He was holding that person in a very strict place of closeness to Him, to His will. Should we as Noahites also ask Hashem for permission to pray for something and or someone? Yes, I think this is a good habit for people to have. That way what, what we're doing is we are bowing to the will of Hashem in everything we do. We're not, we're not assuming. See, a lot of times, and I know that you can relate to this, a lot of times prayer is just presumption. You know, just saying, give me this. Do that. And that is, you know, we can see by example here, just not proper prayer. So if we're praying for something, if we're praying for ourselves for something, you know, it is a good idea to ask permission. Is this an area where I ought to be praying? Is this an area where you don't want me to pray? And I'll tell you, as you go deeper and deeper into a prayer life, you become more sensitive to that. That there are areas where Hashem says, don't. Don't go there. And it is a difficult thing to, to um, understand, Debbie. But, now there is another example that I'm going to bring tomorrow night about prayer of being persistent in prayer and not giving up. And that's a whole different different area. But sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Sometimes it's very hard to tell the difference. Okay, anyone else? Okay, thank you. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow night as well.
So, and by the way, I want to just bring this out to you in case you did not know this. Today was the 15th of the month of Av. And the 15th of the month of Av is a very, very special day. Actually, in Israel, by the non-Jewish people, I mean, not non-Jewish people, non-religious people, it's considered like a Valentine's Day. But it's also a very special day anyway. Spiritually, it's a very special day. So, I'm very happy that we were able to come together and study Torah on this very special day. Forty days. 40 days from today is 40 days 40 days from today is Rosh Hashanah so it's very special when we have uh, to be Shvat the 15th of Shvat month of Shvat 40 days after to be Shvat is Pesach and so it's very interesting because Pesach is a new year and Rosh Hashanah is a new year. So the Tu Bishvat and Tu Av are very interesting doors in the calendar. And um, actually, maybe we'll talk about that some more at another time. But right now I'm going to say thank you for joining me.